Will you take your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of Revelation? Revelation chapter 3. And we are looking, as for those of you who are here for the first time in our communion service, our service is designed to focus upon Christ who said, when you do this, do this in remembrance of me. It is not about you and me. The service is about him, um, as is every service particularly, but in general, that's what we do. But in specific terms, when we come to the table, it is to remember him. It is like going to your friend's birthday party and the focus of attention is on you. That's not the way it's supposed to happen if it's his birthday. Uh, never forget um, early in the, I don't remember, they used to have what is known as loot bag. You had that, that every birthday party you take your gift, but the person whose birthday it is also has a gift for you. And I never could figure out that one because my son was sick. One time he was going to his friend's birthday party and I was going to take his gift to his friend. And he reminded me when I was leaving, make sure that you get my gift when you return. And uh, I'm thank that, thankful he has grown out of that. Uh, but we come to the table of the Lord and we are celebrating what he has done. And what he has done will make sense to everything else we do. The text this morning is dealing with the church in Sardis. And I, I want to make one mention that I want to remind you that this was a real church. It was a place. It, it was a, a location in Asia Minor. And it is the ruins are there today. So this is not a story. This is not an idea that is being told about something that could have happened. This literally happened in space and time. And at the same time, Jesus now in heaven speaks to John on the Isle of Patmos. John was, was, was guided by his spirit. Immediately I was in the spirit and I heard a voice from heaven saying, write these things. And the voice from heaven identified the church in Ephesus and the church in Smyrna and the church in Tyra, And it will go right through. And in our prayer this morning before coming out, John's class uh, was focusing this morning upon the church of Laodicea. And may it never be said of this church that we are like the Laodiceans, uh, because that's a terrible state for the church to be in. So I call your attention to the first six verses, and I will focus upon only verse 1, even though I'll tell you some things about the first five verses, because we're talking about the one who is speaking, not so much about what he said. This is the word of God. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars say this, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know 
at what hour I will come to you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who has overcome will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not eradicate, erase the name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of God. And now, Father, may the Spirit who directed John to write be the Spirit who gives us understanding to your truth beyond what a man has to say to what God alone has to say to the church, not simply to Sardis, but to the church in Sodaville, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Whenever you receive a letter, you almost always, if you're like me, you look to see from where that letter comes. And according to where it is from, you will read the letter. <laughs> For example, if I see a letter coming from AARP, I, I toss it. I, I, I don't read it. I, and I have reasons why I don't read it. If I get a letter from City of Salem, I had better read it. Because if I don't pay my water bill, as I was late one day and they cut the water off, I mean, I had never missed a payment. And I was, the, the date just got confused and I had, to, I had to learn where my water comes from on the side of the road once I paid it. But letters are important, especially from their source. And the letter we're reading this morning is a letter that comes from the head of the church. It is Christ speaking to those he had redeemed. I have never gotten a Dear John letter. That's because I never had girlfriends. <laughs> But I understand that when you get a Dear John letter, you get a letter from this girl or this boy, and you are excited about that letter because it comes from the person that is supposed to be your lover. And you open the letter, and it says, I regret to have to tell you. And then comes everything else you don't want to hear. I am sure that when Sardis got this letter, that was the case. Because what this letter contains was not news that they wanted to hear. This letter did not have information that would, would, would help them to feel good about themselves. And so just for a few minutes, I want to look at the, the city of Sardis and the church and then comes to the speaker because he's the one who's going to evaluate what is about to be said in this letter to Sardis. What is the history of Sardis? The city was founded some 1,200 years B.C. It was a unique city at one point known as the greatest city in Asia Minor. The structure of the city was unique. It was built 
in a, in a, in a kind of a hilly area, and in Sardis itself was surrounded by, by stone pillars that went right up, if you please, as it were, to the sky. Let me tell you how one writer puts it. He said, the, the greatest city in the ancient city, the location of the city, made it imp- an important, f- important for travelers. The hill on which the city was built had smooth, nearly perpendicular rock walls that, that on each side surrounded so that there was only one entrance into the city of Sardis. What was unique about the, the stones that surrounded the city? They were smooth stones. And since they were smooth, and since there was only one location by which, from the southern end, from which you can enter the city, the city became complacent. We are safe. No one can come to us. In fact, one writer said, so secure they were that they didn't even have guards because they knew that a baby would be able to tell if the enemies were approaching. And so as a result of that, something happened to the psychic of the people of Sardis. Its location was important because of how it was fitted. It was a rich city with gold and silver and wool. John MacArthur writes this about the city. So secure did the Sardinians feel that they left the means of access completely unguarded, permitting climbers to ascend unobserved. What the Persians did, (laughs) the Persian trained climbers how to climb smooth walls. And when the king of Sardis was told about the possibility of being invaded, he said, never, never. So while he slept, while he drank, while he was having his fling, the Persians were coming. And by the way, this city was also destroyed once by earthquakes. (laughs) Because when you won't listen to God from above, you listen to God from below. (laughs) And, and, And this is how this city was destroyed. One another professor writes this, because of the location and the richness of the city, the people were arrogant, overconfident. They were sure, too sure, that the one could, that, that anyone could scale the hill which, the way in which, which it was. There was only one point of access and it was a very narrow neck of land toward the south end and could be easily seen. But the enemy came from a different direction. As I studied that, I thought of the country in which we live, rich, educated. And you listen to the verbiage that's coming from those who know the history of this country, and they keep telling us, uh, by the way, I was telling my class this morning that this past week, scientists have discovered another part of the universe outside of space-time, which says that it seems that water could have been there. And if water could have been there, it meant there could have been life. Now, dear friends, the only planet 
upon which human beings have been placed to live, the planet made structure confined in ways that no other planet is, only this one is made for human beings to exist on. No other planet. When we, go to, when, when we send men out of space, what do we have to do? We've got to fit them with space um, uniform. We've got to, they float around, which they can't do on earth. When they come back, they feel that, you know, they don't belong. What I'm saying is that this earth is so, is so structured that for centuries we have been trying to find out if there's anybody else out there so that we can try to conquer them and give them the news that they have been brought into existence by nothing. And that's what we're doing. They became arrogant. One unobserved, unguarded, weak point, an oblique crack in the rock walls, the one chance in a thousand for an, a night attacked by skillful mountain climbers was all that was necessary. Do you know what the wisest man that ever lived, apart from Christ, Solomon said? He said, be careful of the little foxes because the little fox can spoil the vine. In other words, it doesn't take something big to bring destruction. It might be something that is so small that we think, no, that could never affect us. It could be a sin. It could be lying. It could be cheating. It could be pride. And we think, no, this can't. That's the one place that Satan wants for his intrusion. That was Sardis, a real place, a real city, real people, with all the, the tangibles that we take for granted today, they did. And today, they are but a memory. Let's look at the society. The society in Sardis. It is said that the famous writer of fables, Aesop, came from Sardis. It, it, as I said, it was a rich, prosperous, successful people. Their location was such that whenever they were going, it's, I, I thought of tr trying to put this into perspective. It, it's, it's, like, it's like going from uh, Eugene to Portland. The most important spot between that is Lebanon. If you want to stop for a bite to eat, if you want to stop for gas, this is how Sardis was located from the other cities around. It was strategically placed so that for its, its, its uh, export of things, they could go from one place to the next, and from imports, export from other places, they had to go through them. So they felt secure by their location, by their possession, and they just simply lived life. I'll leave the Holy Spirit to make the application to us because this is a meditation about the Savior who died for us, but the Savior who died for us speaks to us today through this church. Let's look at the church then, the church in Sardis, the one who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says, right, 
and send this letter to Sardis. There are three things we find about Sardis that Christ noticed about the church from heaven. Number one, the church was deluded. They were deluded. I mean, think of that. Listen to what he says. I know your deeds that you have a name. The word is the reputation. You have a reputation, but that's not you. We're studying the... uh, the Sermon on the Mount at our Wednesday night's midweek fellowship. And uh, Jesus told the disciples not to be actors. And you know where the word actors come from, the origin of the word? To be a hypocrite. An actor is someone who pretends to be something when they are not. They have a, they have a, a reputation. This is what we have here. You have a name. You have a reputation. And what you don't know is that in spite of that name, you are dead. They were going through the motion. You see, let, let me tell you what happened. The same security and values of the city of Sardis became the same security and the values of the church. And as, as, as what happened to the city was about to happen to the church, to Timothy, holding a form of godliness while denying the power of it. There was no reality to what they were going through. They were singing the hymns, but it didn't mean anything. They were going through the activities of the, the church life, but it didn't mean anything. You read the book of Malachi, And God said, this is what I have against you. You're giving me the lame and the halt and the blind, and you wouldn't give your governor that, but you're giving it to me. You say that the altar of the Lord is detestable, and these are people who were sitting in the temple trying to worship God and thought they were doing it by what they were doing, but they were deluded. I pray that that we will be delivered from that in our church. That when God the Son looks upon Sodaville Church, he doesn't see a deluded group of worshipers. That what we do is real. That what people say about us is real. That what heaven knows about us is real. They had a name that they were thinking identifies them. And the head of the church says, no, it does not. They were defective. Their work was defective. I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. What they were doing is what the Bible calls wood, hay, and stubble. They were doing all the things that church people do. but God found no favor in what they were doing. That frightens me. It frightens me. I I think in terms of standing before you week after week, and I pray that I never stand here saying, can't wait until 12 (laughs) o'clock so that I can go home. No. If I have that attitude, my friends, my work is not completed before God. 
I find these words, I find these words from Paul to Timothy to be the most frightening words in my life. Paul says to Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ and of his holy angels that you hold to the principles which you have received from me because I have received them from God so that the life of the church is not getting its information from the world with the passing things, with the corrupt things, but what is spoken to them, God is saying from heaven, Amen. You are saying what I am saying. But their work was defective. It did not reach God. It was empty. You are presenting defiled food upon my altar, says Malachi chapter 1. Again, I pray that our ministry will never be defective before God whether it be in the song booth, whether it be taking the offering, playing the piano, standing up here, that our ministry will not be defective. Thirdly, they were dying. Verse 2 says, you are dying. What a tragedy. Delusion, defective, death. This is important because I, I went to my biblical encyclopedia and looked up background of Sardis and so on, and today it is just rubbles. It's in some place in Asia Minor called Susa, S-U-S-A. Nothing at all. And excavators, or as one of my teachers used to say, the people with the spades <laughs> would go in and dig up and find things that used to be and all they are are just museum pieces. Let us build in this ministry that which will not be controlled by statistics taken up by George Barna. Let us build, my friends, with the true source of life. See, because this is what we have in those few verses words in chapter 3, verse 1. The one who speaks is the one who brings life. You are dying. Your work is defective. You are deluded. If you are to have life, if you are to have reality, if you are to have the, the true spiritual life, you need the one who gives that life. And Jesus then speaks to the church in Sardis and he says, John, I want you to write, I am the one who holds the seven spirits of God. Now, he's not saying that there are seven Holy Spirits. He's talking about the seven completed work of the Spirit. When Jesus was going back to heaven, he said, I'm going back to heaven and I will send you another comforter and he will be with you and he will lead you into all truths. So the seven Spirit is the completed work of the Spirit. Ask, let's ask ourselves the question, what are those works of the Spirit? They come to us in, in this term. You'll find it in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 3, 2 and 3. He's the Spirit of consecration. He's the Spirit of wisdom. He's the Spirit of understanding. 
He's the spirit of counsel. He's the spirit of strength. He's the spirit of knowledge. And someone asked this this morning, not as we were talking in our class, about reverence for God. He is the one who gives us the spirit that reverences God. He's the spirit of fear. Not, a, not intimidation, but reverence. Apart from the Holy Spirit, we, we do not have the, the knowledge, the wisdom, the insight, the strength to live spiritually, to give to God that which he desires. So Jesus comes to the church in Sardis and says, you are dying because you are ignoring the spirit whom God has given to lead the church. This is what we need. Revival, that word might be new to some of us, revival or the awakening, the spiritual enlightening of the church comes, my friends, not, and I say it, not from a gifted pastor, a gifted preacher, an educated preacher. Revival does not come from a man. If the church is to overcome and live doing what it is supposed to do, it will be because the Holy Spirit is actively among its people. Not the pastor, but the people. He is there as the one who is creating energy and giving direction and causing the church to know its source. And Jesus comes. See what happened? The church in Sardis had taken on the character of the world. And Jesus said, all that is in the world are the passing things, death, and you are dying. And even at the place where you are, if you respond to me who holds the seven spirit of God, you can be revived. You can come alive again. That is what we need. Look at the prerogative of Jesus. We look at his personality. He's the one who holds the seven spirits, the one who sends the spirit, the one by whom the spirit is given. We read all that in Acts chapter 1 and other passages. But look at his prerogative. He has the seven spirits of God, but he also has the seven stars. If you look in chapter 1, on verse 20, you know that the stars are the angels or the messengers of the church. Could be pastors or it could be that there are individual angels who had the seven churches under their protection as revealed from God. We don't know. But the word speaks of those who are spiritual leaders of the church. He holds them. By holding them, it means that no pastor is successful in delineating the word of God if he is not held by Christ if, that, if any pastor is sufficient in himself because he has a master's degree or a doctor's degree or because he has the right pedigree, my friends, that pastor will only lead the people to death. Only to death. My responsibility here is not to entertain you. You don't come to be entertained by a comic. You come to hear God's word. And if the pastor is being held by God, the only thing he has to say to you is what the one who is holding him 
says to him. And so Paul, in writing to Timothy, who was in charge of the church, says, I want you to know, Timothy, the things which I am telling you, I have received from him, and it is from him to me to you, from you to the people, and from the church back to God. That's the church. The church inside us was dying because it had taken on the character of the world. Let us be careful that when we come to the table, we don't say, hurry up, it's almost time. <laughs> I, 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 heard, I heard of a pastor who was uh, preaching and uh, somebody got really mad and threw a bottle at him and the bottle missed him and hit a woman sitting in the front seat. And as she was passing out, she cried, throw another battle, I'm still hearing him. Let, let that not happen to us, friends. Let us not be distracted from hearing what the messenger has to say because the messenger doesn't talk about his opinion, his views. The messenger delivers the letter that has been given from the original writer to the people in Sardis. May we hear what he has to say to us this morning. Father, as we are about to come to the table, may there be no distractions. May no one interferes with another so that they are not able to listen to what is being said since what is being said has been given. So as we think, Lord, now of all that will lead to the table of the Lord, may your spirit be our teacher and cause us to see no one save Jesus only. We pray in his name.